Good afternoon or morning, everyone, depending on what time zone you're coming from, and welcome to Breaking Into Cybersecurity, uh, the podcast that has focused on highlighting and sharing the stories of those who have broken into the cybersecurity field within the past five years. So um, if you're along with your journey, trying to break into cybersecurity, we know it's a long road, and that's why we have um, guests on like Jay today, who will be sharing his story as to how he broke in. But that's the idea behind the show is that we share the stories of those who have recently broken in because we know that uh, the advice that you might get from someone that broke in 10, 15, 20 years ago might be totally different than what it is today. So we bring guests on that have had new, interesting, diverse ways of coming into the industry to show that um, a it, no matter what field you're coming from you can do it if that's what you want to do and you're passionate about it and b learn from them as to uh, some tips techniques and strategies that you can use for your own journey uh, so today we have jay uh, who was previously an occupational therapist um, and then is now a cybersecurity engineer. I, I, I can't wait to hear that story. So, uh, Jay, give us a little bit of background on yourself, um, like occupational therapy, your history before that. Tell us about that. So, yeah, so I am a fully licensed uh, certified occupational therapist, and I've spent the last 17 years working in healthcare uh, in uh, what's called uh, direct clinical care. So completely, you know, hands on with the patient. Um, healthcare management and uh, augmentative technology, which is uh, really cool. It's those cybernetic suits um, mm -hmm. that you know we all we wish wish we could wear and you know jump over uh, tall buildings like Superman and stuff. But um, yeah, so I've spent 17 years in healthcare and uh, I loved it. I went into it because I wanted to help people and I wanted to be part of a you know of a solution to a problem and mm -hmm. make make people's lives better. Uh, and if you told me all those years ago when I started that I would give it all up and close my practice to become a cybersecurity professional. Uh, I probably would have told you, uh, you know, you were full of it and walk away. So, Oh, wow. So not only were you working in the medical field, but you had your own practice, you had your own yes. business. Yes. And um, it, it sounds like you, you almost did a transition and it, did, did you feel like you were starting over when you did it or uh, did it feel like a, what did it feel uh, like, first of all? Um, it was scary in the beginning, to be completely honest. I felt like uh, I felt like I was, you know, maybe making a mistake at certain points because it was challenging for me. And mm -hmm. then there was always a sense that I was just kind of abandoning everything. But I was very convicted in the beginning. I was I had this conviction, like I said, I wanted to make things better. Mm -hmm. And I think that the that same conviction is what led me to be where I am now. So it was, it was a, an odd journey and an odd transition, but I think it worked out well. Okay. Well, let, let's dig into that. So um, you've been in the healthcare field for 17 years. Um, when did you start to feel that, that itch for cyber or it sounds like you're already using technology in the medical field. So you might've been building on that experience, those skills uh, throughout the years. Uh, tell us about when you started to interact more with technology and that became more interesting to you. 
So I always was involved ever since I was a little kid. My parents are both very science oriented people. And I got my first computer when I was like 13 years old, I want to say, and I, I took it apart and I completely destroyed it. Um, and then I tried to rebuild it and I was not very successful at that, but it was a learning experience. So uh, I was never really much into cyber. I really didn't even know what it was. And it was one of these situations where something happened and it prompted me to want to move forward because I just became, it became almost an obsession. Uh, we were, it was just a few years ago. In fact, we were, we were getting something of a, a high profile patient. And mm-hmm. when that happens, there's always an increased risk for uh, reduced security and, and, uh, and breaches. And it's not something that we deal with. We worry more about as clinicians, the, the privacy aspect of things. Mm-hmm. And so this patient came in and five o'clock the next morning, I went to make the schedule only to realize that I couldn't access their, their electronic medical record, their, their chart. And uh, I called IT and I just thought, I honestly thought I did something wrong. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, user error, of course. And the guy on the other end of the line said, no, uh, there's nothing wrong. You didn't do something wrong. It's not on your end. We had a cybersecurity breach. Uh, we've been hit with a ransomware attack. And there's about 50 to 60 charts that you're not going to be able to access. And I'm like, that's that's half our caseload. That's a lot of people. I can't, I have therapists that are supposed to work. How are we supposed to treat patients? And for anyone who's not familiar with healthcare, your electronic medical record is your chart. It's a digital chart. So it contains all of this vital information. Mm-hmm. So your diagnoses, your precautions, contraindications, everything about you that helps us do our jobs and treat you effectively and you know with good continuity uh, is involved in that chart. Without that chart, we can't touch you uh, because we, we could do more harm than good at that point. Mm-hmm. And it's too much of a risk. Um, so at that point I had to have a very uncomfortable conversation with patients that day and let them know that we were completely, you know, our hands were tired, tied and there was nothing we could do and we couldn't work with them. And for the, the individual that had come in, the high profile patient, it was a big letdown for them because they had just come in. That meant that there was their, you know, their entire life was on hold. Now their Mm -hmm. family members' lives were on hold. Mm-hmm. And the ripple effect reaches reached everyone as as an organization, we let them down as uh, separate disciplines, doctors, nurses, uh, therapists such as myself and social workers, we looked incompetent. And then as individual clinicians, we all felt like failures. We felt that we just simply we just let this person down and we just didn't meet the standard criteria for doing the job well. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting in the boardroom with all the directors just saying, you know, how did this happen? Why did this happen? And mm-hmm. how could we let this happen to these people? We we failed. We really failed. And it was the first time in all of my years of practice that I really left work and I felt like I just couldn't do my job. And I really felt like a complete and utter failure. And it was, of course, you know, everyone always told me, you know, Jay, there was nothing you could have done. You're a therapist. It was not up to you to do, to protect this person's information in their chart. But Mm -hmm. to this day, I still feel like we let this person down and I still, there's that lingering sense of failure there. So I, I decided to change. I decided to move forward. Wow. So um, first, I want to welcome some of the guests that are just joining in. Um, Thank you so much for joining in. Feel free to subscribe on YouTube, LinkedIn, um, your favorite podcast channel. Um, 
good afternoon to Pierre Brown, who's joining us. Um, so Jay just talked about um, one of the, the pivotal moments in his medical practice where um, he was first exposed to ransomware and that affected his ability to treat patients. Um, so I, I know with, within cybersecurity and IT, we talk about the CIA triad often. Um, so that affected your availability um, yes. to, to, to service your patient. Now, were there any resiliency measures in place like paper records or anything like that um, that could have been used to treat your patients? So what ends up happening is because we're a, we're we work at a secondary measure and mm -hmm. what happens between us and the hospital when a patient comes in, there's diagnostics and telemetry that's done kind of in between mm -hmm. that is just new information that has to be in place. And we do have a soft chart, but the soft chart is very limited in information. It's mm -hmm. not going to contain the entire medical record and the medical history and uh, what are known as comorbidities. Mm -hmm. So I can't necessarily treat a patient uh, and do certain things with them if there might be something that they had before, like maybe they had a cardiac condition prior, and I want to put them up on a you know an exercise bike and have them reach a certain heart rate. If I don't know about that comorbidity, then I could do more damage. So it became more of a a situation where there was only two options: we we could wait to recreate the charts which it's a possibility. It just takes time. And mm -hmm. some of that telemetry has to be done in live, you know, in live time. So that becomes an issue mm -hmm. or we pay the, we pay with a ransom for mm -hmm. the charts, but then we have to worry about, as you mentioned, the CIA tri triad, we have to worry about the integrity of the information then that's been breached because now I can't trust it. So it's pretty much useless at that point because it's so vital to what we're doing. If we can't trust the integrity of the data, it's, it's garbage at that point. I love how you went straight to the integrity of the data, whereas everyone else would be like, yeah, but is it, has it been leaked? Is it confidential still? And you're like, I don't care about if it's been leaked. No, is I it, need to is do my job. <laughs> <laughs> I need I to be that. able to do my job. You know, of course, I'm, I, of course, we're always going to be worried about has it been leaked. But, you know, in, in terms of healthcare, in terms of making sure that this person's, uh, you know, they were going to be able to return home safely and mm -hmm. we were going to be able to actually start treating them. They were there. And when you come from therapy, you have X number of days. It, it doesn't matter if I start on, on day one or day 10, you, I've used up your time. We've yeah. wasted time at that point. So this was, you know, the clock was ticking mm -hmm. and this person was losing time. Every hour was lost, you know, was lost treatment right there. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was really bad. <laughs> so, so you said that that was the, the point in transition. So, so let's talk about from that point to where you are now, describe your journey, describe your path. Cause I know before we came on live, you're like, Oh, it was a, it was a hard journey. So uh, share, share that journey with the guests. So it was, yeah, it was a tough journey. It was more, I want to say it was going back to school. Uh, and I know, and, and I know this is like that. There's a point of contention in the industry where do you get certifications? Do you get a degree? Do you, you know, rely on your past experience? And, and it's good for everyone. Whatever works for you is what you should do. Mm -hmm. For me, I tried to emulate what we do in healthcare, and that's you get your foundational knowledge, you get, you know, you with your degree, and then you move forward into what we call clinical rotations, which are basically mm -hmm. uh, very highly structured internships. So that's what I chose to do. But in the beginning, I didn't even know what I was going to do. I had to, I had to kind of walk around and I was kind of depressed at the fact that this happened and I couldn't treat this patient. I spoke to my wife. She was working at a, a large data mining firm at the time. 
And I just said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I reached out to people who I knew in IT and they all gave me the same answer. There's nothing you could have done. And I, I just couldn't accept that. I, it just, that wasn't enough for me. So she said, let me talk to the CSO of our company and maybe she'll have a moment to sit down with you. And I was like, I don't want to waste her time. Mm-hmm. And she's like, listen, if you are even considering doing something else, because my wife knowing me that there was something already in the works in my mind, uh, she said, if you're even considering doing something different, you need to learn how to build a network and work outside your comfort zone. Because in healthcare, you know, 17 years, you're considered a senior clinician. And at that point, you're pretty well known. Healthcare is massive, but it is a very small world when you work in it. And you just, you know, people know you, people know of oh, Jay's a therapist. He does this and he likes those robotic suit things, you know? So it's just kind of how it works. But mm-hmm. Uh, I, I didn't know what to do. So I did reach out. I did sit down with her and I just said plainly, I want to fix the problem and I feel very helpless. And she says, yeah, you are helpless because there's nothing you can do. You're a therapist. You don't work in cybersecurity. You don't have any background in it. You don't have any education in it. And it wasn't your responsibility in to, in the first place. Mm-hmm. You were there to do your job and you were prevented from doing your job by something that was not theirs, you know, in your control. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, so what do I do then? And she looks at me and says, just listen, if you want to do this, you need to stop what you're doing now and you need to go into cybersecurity. And she says, do you think that's a possibility? And and I was kind of speechless. I really didn't know what to do because it meant giving up a lot. Mm -hmm. And she said, look, you are in healthcare and there's a really good potential. You have a very unique perspective that you can offer that not many people would have how how cybersecurity is situated within a healthcare environment because it's a very different beast than corporate America. Mm-hmm. And there's other risks and there's other things that can be destroyed like patient care mm-hmm. that really needs to be considered. And uh, she said, so think about it. So I gave it some time. I thought about it for a while, which was pretty much all of 24 hours. I called up a couple of our friends and my colleagues and I sat down with them and my wife and I said, this is what I'm thinking of doing. I know you think I'm crazy and you're probably going to tell me not to do it, but this is what I want to do because it's really starting to bother me. And I want to be, I did this because I wanted to be part of a solution to a Mm -hmm. problem. And now there's something else preventing me from doing my job and I want to fix it. Mm-hmm. And they all looked at me and said, we were expecting this from you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we knew this was coming. There's people who can take over for you as a therapist. That's not mm-hmm. a big deal. But we think that it would be a good idea because there probably aren't many people. How many therapists give up everything to go into cybersecurity? Mm-hmm. Um, you do have a unique perspective and maybe it would be good for you because it will help you feel better about this and you'll feel like you can maybe contribute to preventing this from happening again. And that's what I did. So I went to school. Uh, I went back to college, which was grueling because it was all new information. It wasn't mm-hmm. like anything I had learned before. And uh, when I finished in August of last year, of course, pandemic, uh, thank you, COVID-19, it destroyed all of my uh, my internships that I had lined up. So I was kind of left with an education and I didn't know what to do with it at that point. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Um, <laughs> okay. So what kind of college did you go to? How did you choose your program? Like uh, know, went, knowing knowing someone in the medical field, you probably did a lot of research before you chose something. So tell us about that. So I'm, I, I'm a really, really fast, fast reader. And okay. I love to 
once I start something, I kind of be, a, I become very obsessed with it. So I wanted a college that I could do everything at my own pace, which meant finishing as many courses as possible. So I chose Capella because they had uh, kind of like a self-paced program. And they mm-hmm. had a special cybersecurity pro- program with that included risk analysis. And in healthcare, in occupational therapy, especially, we do a risk analysis on our patients. It's a very finite spectrum, but it is part of it. Mm-hmm. So I figured that was a good way for me to kind of lean on some of my prior skills and take what I already knew and apply it to something new uh, and different. And uh, it was... It was a good program. It was a program that I probably pushed myself a little bit too hard to finish um, because I was working and then probably putting in another 10 hours a day in school. So it was, you know, wake up and realize that it's, you know, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning and, uh, you know, go back to bed. So So, let me just highlight something that you you said that... um, I know I think people don't often consider is those transferable skills. What do you do in your current role um, that may be similar or related to another skill or competency that is done within a job role within cybersecurity? And how many of those can you um, analyze or understand that you have so that when you go you you do go talk to a hiring manager, you can use that with additional information that you've gathered along the way and say, yes, I've done this, I've done that. It might've been in a different context, but here's how I can apply it to this context yeah. and have have that conversation. So you're not just, oh, I'm a new person and I don't, I, give me an internship. And I, yeah, and I don't know anything, but I want a job. <laughs> I, was, I was very fortunate because I, I think having the career for so long, I was very confident in those skills that I did have. Mm-hmm. And I think also being a therapist, we're trained to analyze everything. I mean, there a day doesn't go by where I don't see someone walking down the street and I analyze their gait and how they're moving. And, you know, do they have a shoulder that's one low, you know, one lower than the other? Oh, that might be where she carries her purse, you know, things like that. Or, you know, that guy might have a rock in his shoe. Uh, We, we analyze everything and it becomes second nature. And it, it was the same thing with this. When I was in school and I was going through my coursework, I would sit down and look at the, you know, look at the rubric and say, okay, this is what I'm learning what is this like? What can I relate to my current skill set to what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. And a lot of it for me in particular, it came down to the analysis skills, being able to break things down, deconstruct something and find the problems in it and then put it all back together minus the problem. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, what you just mentioned there about like analyzing the person walking down the street, uh, you you might make a great social engineer as well because once you understand like why someone is doing something and what then are the downstream vulnerabilities you can then exploit those to to your betterment as a social engineer to achieve the outcome that you're trying to do that's actually Um, really true uh one of the things that's when you're in healthcare, one of the things you always hear is the word empathy. And people always mistake that for sympathy. Mm-hmm. I don't feel bad for my patients. I just need to learn how to tune into how they're feeling and not not exploit how they're feeling, but understand and work with what's going on. Mm-hmm. And in terms of social engineering, you definitely would exploit uh, the psychological side of human nature. And uh, yeah, most definitely. Uh, I, I definitely, we had a 
we had a couple of projects where we had to work on stuff like that. Uh, you know, making phone calls and, you know, pretending you're someone else and, you know, I lost my password. Can you give it to me type of thing? So, <laughs> and people give it to you surprisingly. Absolutely. And then now, now you know how to do that. And now you can think like an attacker. Now you can reverse engineer that whole process when you're designing your security controls or your program or your application, you can think, okay, if I were an attacker, what would I do in this situation? And how can I um, now prevent them from doing that? Um, yeah. So you got your education, um, COVID terminated all your internships. Um, what'd you do now? Okay. So I was still determined to get the hands-on experience because uh, one of the things that uh, I, I teach students as a therapist, it's kind of just part of the job you teach and mentor as a therapist. And I know that I had some students who came into therapy as a new career. It was a transition for them. Some of them for IT, surprisingly. And um, imposter syndrome is massive when you make a career change because mm -hmm. you kind of doubt everything you know. You could know so much and most people do, especially in cybersecurity. There's some brilliant people in this industry. It's amazing. And uh, I really was worried about that. I didn't want to lose my confidence in everything I knew. And I really needed that hands-on experience. So I searched and searched and I said, all right, boot camp. Let me go to a boot camp instead. And I found a boot camp, um, Flatiron School in, in New York City had a boot camp online. And that lasted me through December of the year, through the end of the year. And that was absolutely, uh, it was fun. And I learned a lot. It was very, very fast paced, very demanding, but I, I did learn quite a bit. And, and as well. do, do you feel that it was applicable to what you wanted to do? Because oftentimes I, I think people jump into something, not, not future planning what they want to do with their career. And then realize after the fact, like, I just wasted 10 grand and three months doing a boot camp, and I really didn't want to do that. I would say there were certain things that were just kind of a bit, there was a, a great deal of overlap from what I had already learned in college. And surprisingly, mm -hmm. some of the things that I had done just, you know, in my own time, like, you know, learning how to, you know, take my computer apart or uh, security controls. And interestingly enough, the security awareness and GRC aspect of things it was so relatable to healthcare because we have to operate within HIPAA and there are so many guidelines and so many rules that you have to follow. Uh, I never, it didn't even dawn on me until someone mentioned high trust in HIPAA. And I'm like, wait a minute. I, I know that stuff. I do that every day. This is really cool. I don't have to, I don't have to study for this class now. You know, So um, it was, it was very relatable and it was very applicable. Like I said, there was some overlap and, I would probably still do it again. Uh, I would say though that there was maybe 40 percent of stuff I had already known, which mm -hmm. took some of the stress away. But at the same time, you're still paying for that, though. Mm -hmm. So let, let's talk about. So you got the hands-on experience that you wanted, right? Yeah. It's not like someone told you you had to go do it. You wanted to do it. Yes. Um, yeah. So now you, I'm guessing you start looking for a job. Like, what was that process like? Oh my God, that's a whole. That's a job in itself. It is a job in itself. You will spend hours looking for jobs. You will be, spend so much time looking for your next position. And, you know, I, I remember saying it to my students, you know, you're going to get rejections and in healthcare, if they don't come en masse, it's not like this deluge in your inbox where you just feel like you completely are terrible at this. In healthcare, it's like, you know, no, we just don't have an open position or we need someone more senior. And you get maybe, you apply to 10 jobs, you get 
three job offers and you know seven rejections. Uh, the job process for this is is a lot harder, and you need to really you really need to bolster your confidence in in what you know and how you approach it. And those rejection letters come through. And I remember getting the first one. I'm like, okay, that's not too bad. I got one. Uh, and the next day I got five. Uh, and the next day I got 12. And I started writing it down. And I'm just like, this is this is bad math happening here. So I, let's uh, talk about your process though, right? <laughs> okay. what, what was your process? Let, let's, let's see if we can analyze your process, <laughs> what you did, and then maybe um, how you adjusted it along the way, if you did, uh, to talk about that. So in the beginning... I approached it like I would have if I was looking for a job in healthcare and I looked for open positions and I sent in my resume and that, and a cover letter. And that was pretty much it. And that was not a good process. It mm -hmm. just, just not, it just doesn't work. Not for this industry. Mm -hmm. uh, healthcare is a little more forgiving. And I think sometimes because you have your license and you haven't killed someone, they're just mm -hmm. like, yes, we will take you uh, with this. I, I really had to, break down the process and start looking for different things. And one of the changes that I made to it was I started looking around at places that I had gathered information from when I was in school. So, mm -hmm. you know, professors always tell you, I want current information six months to a year, no older than that, which means you're, you're relying on other companies. You're relying on current companies and their information. What educational stuff for they providing. And one of the companies that I was using a lot of their information was, and there was constantly in my, uh, my references page on my papers was Avanade. They had so many great webinars and I started becoming really interested in the company. And I looked and realized that the culture that they had was, um, <laughs> The only reason I, sh I point this on the screen for everyone is Avanade is a uh, child sister company of Accenture. Yes. Um, and the reason I know that is I myself am an Avanade alumni. Um, so I've worked for Big Orange in the past. Um, so there you go. Now you can make a, an Accenture <laughs> connection as well. And that's the thing. I, I actually, one of the really cool things was, and this just just the strangeness of you know synchronicity of the universe coming in into play here. There was a there's an Accenture office down the street from where I used to work mm -hmm. uh, in healthcare, so I knew who they were. And when I started researching Avanade, I kind of saw. I was like, wow, this okay. So the universe is telling me this is the right place to go. Um, with uh, how everything was working, I kind of with my job search, I started looking for places I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. rather than just saying, I want a job, I want a position in your company. I said, I want to look at for, I want to look at a place I want to work. And I wanted, I really sat down and I said, what have I been looking for all these years that I didn't get? I wanted a certain culture. Mm -hmm. I wanted a certain feel and a certain, you know, certain people around me because this is new to me. And I want people who are going to be open to helping me learn and grow in this position. I didn't want to work in a factory. I didn't want to just be another number. So, wow. and Avanade seemed to have that and I really wanted it. And so I kind of looked around and I started networking with people and I saw this gentleman on LinkedIn, uh, this guy, William, and he was a really, really, really great guy. He said, I'm hiring. And I said, okay, you work at Avanade. This is exactly where I want to be. I want to talk to you. And mm -hmm. we set up some time and we spoke and he said the same thing that uh, the CSO from my wife's company said, you know, a couple of years prior. And she's, you know, who said, you could offer a very unique perspective. 
And I think this is a really good idea for you. And I said, wow, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Okay. This is, uh, this is starting to sound very familiar and I'm, I really like this. And from the, from that phone call through every single interview, I had this sensation, like I just kind of belonged there and they made, made me feel very welcome. And I felt that it was a great, it was a great process. Mm-hmm. Prior to that though, if I, if I continued with my job search without analyzing it, breaking it down and making pretty, I would say pretty drastic changes to my approach. I, I don't, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have gotten this position. Honestly, it wouldn't have happened for me. Wow. Well, so first of all, I want to highlight uh, some amazing things that, that you've done. Um, often people don't think of creating a dream list or a company that they want to be f- working for. Like they're looking at the job. They're, they're not looking at the culture. They're not looking at the people. They're not looking at all that. Like, And their haste to to rush into something ends up costing them toil and frustration and even to the point where they get burned out because they chose the wrong first company that might have been focused on something other than what they're passionate about. Someone else might be passionate about it, but they weren't. So it wasn't like the best um, cultural fit for them or the best um, spiritual fit for them, however you want to call it. Um, Like there's, I, I like to amount it to when you're doing things that you love doing, like it's, it's you're not working. Yeah. But now when you're tasked with doing things that might be, uh, don't really align with what you want to do, you, you'll deal with it for a little bit. But if that becomes something you do forever, then you start to feel burnt out. Then your, your, your passion drives, everything drives. Um, so I, I think that was really important that you highlight how you pivoted your job search and and that's that's really important um i I know i caught you very early in your cybersecurity career so i want to congratulate you for that first of all and i want to acknowledge that for the rest of the audience right um sometimes we talk to individuals that have been in their career two to three years um this is jay's what first month second month I, I'm still in the onboarding process. Uh, it's very fresh. It's very, very fresh. Um, if, but I, I just want to kind of, you know, you go back to the whole idea of like the job search. If you don't, if you don't invest in breaking it down and, and all the wonderful points you made, you're going to get burnt out before you even start your first job. And uh, I think that's, I know seeing it from my students in therapy uh, who get so stressed out and just looking for that first role that when they start their first job, they're not even enthusiastic about it anymore. It's just kind mm-hmm. of depressing. So uh, I, I do think it's really important to to make an active effort to not let the rejections get to you and be an active participant in in your journey rather than just kind of pushing a button on LinkedIn and saying connect and apply. Uh, that doesn't work. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Um, that that's, that's really important. And, and I often see that um, with transitioning veterans that um, they're all about like numbers, numbers, numbers. But if, if you if you focus too much on the quantity and less on the quality, um, you're not going to be happy with the bad math that comes back. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so um, typically we wrap up at about a half hour. So we're a little bit past that because the conversation has just been that amazing. Um, usually I ask one last question at the end. Go for so it. summarizing your entire journey of breaking into cybersecurity, what one piece of sage advice would you give anyone um, following in your footsteps, whether from the medical field um, or the therapist field, uh, trying to break into cybersecurity? Uh, this is advice that my wife gave me and she's, she's going to see this and she's going to say, I told you so. <laughs> um, and that's okay. I, I'll admit this one time that she was correct. Uh, you have to network. You have to get outside of your comfort zone. Uh, I started all of this by talking to someone I didn't know. And she took the time to speak to me. One of the things that I've always noticed was that I was, I'm, I'm, I come from therapy. I'm used to fixing problems and being the one that gives the advice and the guidance. I wasn't accustomed to going out there and, and speaking to people I didn't know, asking questions, because I always felt like I was imposing on them and, and wasting their time. And that's not the case. And I had to kind of take a step back and look at it from a different perspective and say, anytime a student needed my help or someone was interested in becoming a therapist, I always took the time to help them. And I needed to realize that there was the same potential in cybersecurity with everyone I spoke to. And without doing that, without networking, without speaking to other people, and it could it could just be as simple as just saying to someone, you work for a company that I really like. I would love to work there. How do I get started? Where do mm -hmm. I go? Or if you see someone who has a really interesting experience, you know, experiences and their history is just amazing, or they've got a list of certifications you're interested in, it's there's nothing wrong with reaching out and saying, hey, I'm really impressed. Can you kind of give me some pointers on, on to get where you are? Uh, if I did not network and if I did not work my network appropriately and, and enthusiastically and be active in mm -hmm. those efforts, there was absolutely no way this was going to happen. And sometimes it's just a matter of asking a question and then following up with just a simple thank you. Uh, I, I still thank everyone that helped me get to where I am. Uh, I tell them all the time, I'm going to buy you a beer and we're going to have pizza. That list is huge. Um, <laughs> and I plan on, I will follow through. Everyone will get their beer and pizza, I assure you. But um, if you don't work your network, it's going to be very frustrating. And as those rejection letters come in, sometimes it's nice just to have a conversation with someone who's in the industry and can kind of just talk you through it. And it doesn't even have to, you don't even have to say, hey, listen, I got 50 rejection letters today. I'm depressed. It could just be, hey, you know, how was your day at work? What did you do today? Can you tell me what the life of a cybersecurity engineer or analyst is like? And, and get your mind off of the negative stuff because that will just drain you and destroy the journey for you. And it's going to make it a lot harder. Wow. Absolutely love it. Okay, so uh, for everyone that was inspired by Jay's story, uh, please share it with all your friends. Uh, subscribe on all the all the platforms. We're on LinkedIn. We're on podcast on all your favorite podcast uh, providers. Subscribe there. Share there. Um, if you have broken in recently and you have a story that you would like to share reach out to me. Um, if this has inspired you, uh, reach out to Jay, reach out to me, share your story that you've been inspired by it. Uh, we absolutely love hearing that because really and truly after we've been doing this for three years, and that's why I keep doing this, is hearing amazing stories like Jay of people that have um, broken into the industry and sharing their tips and tricks uh, for everyone else. So 
to everyone out there, thank you so much. And Jay, thank you for taking your time today. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Have a great day, everyone.